This is For the Neighborhoods and Nations, a podcast of the Church of the United Brethren in Christ. My name is Brian Biedenbach, and I'm here with Bishop Todd Fetters. Hey, Brian. For this first season of the podcast, we're diving into a series of conversations focused on the eight core values that serve to define and unite United Brethren churches around the world. In today's conversation, we're discussing the value of respecting unity amidst diversity. Let's jump right in. Well, Todd, welcome back to another episode of For the Neighborhoods and Nations. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be with you this morning. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into this conversation today uh, because this is one that I think personally I highly value, but there's a lot of work that goes into it, and we'll go into that. So the core value itself, the again, the summary statement, we've hit this on every episode so far. We've got a summary statement that says, we respect unity amidst diversity, but there's much more explanation underneath that too. So without digging into reading that whole thing, talk us through what does it mean to respect unity amidst diversity in the context of the United Brethren in Christ? Yeah, like you, Brian, this one means a lot to me as well. The United Brethren Church has been around for 255 years, and it's it's respected this. And, and you see that in our earliest founders, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But to summarize the core value, I think the best way to summarize it is to understand two things about what it's not. One, it's it's not unity at all costs. It has a context. Yeah. And that context is in Christ, right? So right. as we talked about in a previous one, that's our address. That's where we live. So it's not unity at all costs, and it's not uniformity of thinking and behaving. It's not unity in belief and behaving, if that, if, if that makes sense. Though we have our beliefs, and we want those beliefs to impact the way that we live our lives or behave. So when I think of unity, respecting unity amidst diversity from a United Brethren perspective, I think of it in terms of our unity in Christ despite our differences on the finer points of theology, mission, and church polity. Okay. I'll even take it beyond that and uh, dovetail into it that it also is despite our our preferences when it comes to religious practice. Okay. So I, as I hear you say that, a couple thoughts come to mind. Um, even as I dig into this core value a little bit, I love the distinction that it's not unity at all costs, mm-hmm. and it's not uniformity of thinking, but it's on the finer points, right? In my experience, growing up in the church and, you know, with friends in the church world and knowing people in church leadership, I feel like a lot of times it's those finer things that end up dividing churches. Worship styles, baptismal preferences, those things, and it's always, this is why I I love this one, because it's always bothered me that those things are the finer points and preferences are the things that divide churches. And we're saying we're not going to let those things do that to us, but we're going to come together around the things that are most important. And that's kind of been the case from the get-go. It seems to be. It seems to be. So talk us through a little bit the historical context of this, where this kind of comes from. Because we've seen this, you've used the term Protestant ecumenism, Mm -hmm. and that seems to be kind of our MO from the beginning. Talk us through that a little bit. Well, historically, the... Folks don't know where we are. We're in my office, and on the wall, when you walk in my uh, into the door into my office, you will see 
a mural of Otterbein, William Otterbein, our earliest founder, and Martin Baim, another one of our earliest founders, with a barn in between. And then there's two hands shaking. The great mystery, and I think I've solved, you know, just in looking at some <laughs> of our uh, history books, is that it was more of an embrace than it was a handshake. Okay. And Baim, who was at the time uh, a bishop of the Mennonite Church, really had an evangelistic fervor and was hosting these great meetings in, you know, for us, Isaac Long's barn. And as he was preaching the gospel, uh, before Baim could get back down to his seat, Otterbein stands up and says in German, we are brethren. So there's something very special about those two men connecting at the gospel level of Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, from two very different yeah, backgrounds. Yeah, uh, you know, Otterbein uh, came more from a, a Reformed church background, Baim from the Mennonite. Baim was friends with, uh, from what I'm reading, uh, was friends with William Otterbein. Uh, he was also friends with Francis Asbury of the Methodist movement. And so that's where you see this Protestant ecumenism start early. And there were consequences to be paid mm. uh, for, for Bame because the, the, his church denomination didn't like the evangelistic fervor. They weren't really excited about what was happening at the great meetings, and they, they, weren't, they weren't appreciating the powerful demonstrations that were, that were emerging, that were happening at these meetings through, through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that didn't end well for Baim and the Mennonite Church, but Baim and Otterbein and others just continued to move forward in understanding that the gospel needs to be proclaimed and lives need to be transformed. Because to them, what really mattered, and I think this comes out of the flow of, of pietism, the movement of pietism in the 1600s, they were calling people to come back to Jesus to experience uh, this mystical union with God that comes through Jesus Christ and bears the evidence of transformational change from the inside out as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of each and every believer. It's pretty pretty amazing. And I think that that's what makes our heartbeat when we're when we're right with God, when we're when we're healthy in our thinking, we want that same thing. Yeah, I like that the the way you phrase that, Todd, and the 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 words the the phrase that you keep saying is our address is in Christ. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's where all this unity stems. It has to start there. Now, looking ahead, that was the the founders of our denomination, and we've talked through a couple generations of what that has looked like for them and maybe some of the consequences that they faced. There's some challenges that I think it poses for us today, too, in this, this idea of unity amidst diversity. So what challenges have you seen this core value surface here, specifically in the U.S. as we talk about this, and how have our churches and leaders been able to overcome those? I think you've touched on on it bef uh, earlier in the episode where churches can get caught up in preferences. Again, we're talking about finer points, finer points of theology, finer points about methodology of mission, finer points about church polity. I think they can get caught up in preferences for religious practice. So, you know, the denomination, our, our, our confession of faith is somewhat prescriptive, but it's not 
as prescriptive as, as other creeds or confessions uh, that I might see in other churches. So one thing, you know, thinking in terms of um, religious practice, how many times a year do you do communion? Some churches in our denomination might observe them once a quarter and then on other special occasions like Monday, Thursday or around Christmas time or, mm-hmm. or the new year. Mode of baptism. Uh, well, and other churches might do it every every month. That was typically my practice okay. uh, was to do it uh, every month. And, and particularly because I thought it was a, it was helpful for churches in the area of unity, you know, that we've got to sit, you know, as congregations, we have to sit and consider our worthiness to receive these elements. Is there anything between mm. me and Jesus that needs to be really openly confessed and dealt with? Uh, is there anything between me and a brother or sister that needs to be dealt with and that would, that would inhibit me from taking? So I think that that regular practice was helpful for the churches that I serve. Would I prescribe that to other people? Absolutely not. Uh, the only reason I did it is because I was crying out to the Lord one time about division that was going on and saying, how do we get at this? And I just sensed in my spirit that a regular practice of communion. Mode of baptism is another one. We, we allow for sprinkling, uh, the mode of pouring, mm-hmm. and immersion. And it seems to me, you know, I, I as I've been around churches uh, in the United Brethren of Christ, we, we, we probably do have a preference for immersion, but we recognize there are times where pouring or sprinkling is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but we love, I think we love immersion because of, of the theological significance that is being told, the, yeah. the story that's being told in the, in the immersion of the, the death of Jesus and burial and the resurrection of Christ. You know, we're we're in, in going underwater, dying to sin, and re- being raised in Christ. That's yeah. significant. The imagery there is definitely without a doubt. Yeah. So again, right? It it comes back to Jesus. When it comes to the scriptures, we're generally not going to get caught up in a in a King James version only debate. Yeah. In our churches, uh, I've been in I've been in churches where the Pew Bible is New International Version, or it's the New Living Translation. Some churches uh, would have the the ESV, and and you know those Bibles will be used from the the preacher, or the teacher, at the pulpit mm-hmm. uh, as well. There is just a commitment that says we we need to know our Bibles. Yeah. So what gets you into your Bible? Yeah. Uh, sometimes the the translation can be helpful yeah. in inviting people to to more robust reading. Yeah, I think that's key. The The end result is it's not the version, it's that you're in the Bible, that you're in the mm-hmm. Word, that you're studying, and ultimately that you're in Christ, as we've said several times. Yep. And on a theological finer point, you know, uh, and, and our, our core value plays this out, is that we allow diversity even on the issues of end-time scenario. I, again, it hasn't happened yet, so it would really, it would really be... Hard to predict that or to lay out this is the, the dogmatic position that we hold. There, that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be strong convictions or preferences toward a premillennial perspective or an amillennial perspective or a postmillennial perspective. And in our denomination, I've, I've, I've heard pastors and people with, with all of those yeah. uh, perspectives. So we're not getting into prescribing the end-time scenario 
And I think largely because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But not because we don't think it's important. Right. We think it's important. We know Jesus is coming back. And, you know, until then, we're working, we're waiting, yeah. we're witnessing. And that's that's important to us. Yeah, I think that comes back to a conversation we had on the core value of adherence to the confession of faith. And it, I remember that conversation where part of that confession of faith is we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. And yes. that's that's what we need to unify around. And we have preferences and we have thoughts and we have convictions of what that's going to look like based on our reading of scripture. But the fact is that he is coming back and that's what we rally around. You know, when you think about he is coming back, I mean, what I get excited about that is he's alive. Yeah. All right. On. Right. He's alive and he has commissioned us and he has sent us out and he's there's accountability, there's companionship with the Holy Spirit. And we're we're living all this mission out because he is coming back and we, we hold that so dear. So Yeah. Yeah. Now you're getting me excited about our next core value. Yeah. Just the mission that he sent us on. We'll we'll I'll save that conversation for later. Um one of the phrases that stands out to me as you read the the rest of this core value, and I know we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but one of the things that jumps out at me is we don't want our mission to be hindered by man made structures. Mm -hmm. And uh that I mean that I just wanted to mention that because for me, I get caught up in man-made structures and mm -hmm. that's a conviction of mine. Like I like building structure. I like building things and work towards effectiveness. And sometimes those structures just get in the way. They work for a time and then we got to go, no, the mission's still here, but that right. structure is old. It doesn't work. We don't have the leader that can manage that. We don't have the infrastructure. So that one, that was a phrase that really jumped out at me. And I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but that was just something that really struck me as I read this, because that's my my bent and my tendency. I don't know that I need to say much more than that, other than I would point people to our discipline that, that shows our, we have a about a 35-page discipline. Other <laughs> denominations have hundreds of pages. Yeah. We're not prescribing a lot when it comes to the kind of organization or structure you have to have. A church has to have a board of administration, mm. but we're not telling you who has to be on that board in the sense of this group or this committee or or, or that. So, yeah, I like to think of the United Brethren Church as doing all it can to allow that freedom to be able to do mission in your community how you need to do it. And if you think again of the core values being international. Well, the underground church can't be held to right. an organizational structure that is out and about or, you know, large. It needs to be nimble. It needs to be agile. And and I think that for us too, the mission is what needs to be accomplished, not, yeah. not the structure. Yeah. I think what you said there, Todd, about, uh, you know, the underground church, like that, that wasn't even on my radar as I was asking that question and right. thinking through that. But it, it does definitely help us put into perspective in the remembering that these are international core values. These aren't just for my local church or my, you know, national denomination. So good perspective there. I appreciate that. It was a good call back to what we're talking about here on an international scale. I, I want to kind of transition us to kind of this last bit of the conversation. And that's, we all know we live in a world of extremes right now, culturally. And unity is is not an easy thing to to come to. Jesus prayed for it. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus knew 
what was coming down the pipe. Uh, and he prayed for unity for all of us to be in him as he is in the Father, right? In John 17. What does that look like in our churches to, to be unified? Even in the same local church, we've had some conversations about people even in the same local church that have differences or preferences on the finer points of theology, but somehow make it work in their place. Well, I think there's a strong commitment to John 13, where we embrace the relational maturity that Jesus is calling us to, to love one another just as he has loved us, right? So that's not our coming to an understanding of of how we're to love people. We're to love people as Jesus has loved us. Mm -hmm. And it is through our love for Jesus uh, or the love of Jesus that's coming through us to help me to love uh, a brother like you that the world's going to know. Mm. that we're followers of Jesus Christ or that we're his disciples. So that's John 13, 34, and 35. That makes it sound like there's something not lovable about me. I said uh, it that way, didn't I? And, and I didn't, I'm okay with it. I, I didn't intend meant. to. I mean, listen, we're both Bengal fans looking forward to a game. Which um, is one reason why most people wouldn't. Right. That would be an excuse for why they shouldn't love us. Anyway, I cut you off. Right. So so I think it's it's the relational maturity that we're called to. As, as disciples of Jesus, to love one another just as he has loved us and, and show that to a world that I'm, frankly, what I've been observing and, and at times caught up in is the, the factions or the groupings or that are going on in our culture today. Yeah. Brian, it feels to me like they are forming on an energy other than love. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. You know, they are forming out of uh, you know, not saying they don't have great conviction, mm-hmm. not saying they don't have great affinity, but there's an energy that just doesn't rest in my soul well. Yeah, and so therefore, that's that's maybe a threat that I pray for the church to be able to excise if it if it somehow gets mm-hmm. in or to protect against or to have the Lord put a hedge of protection around that that particular spirit of angst, yeah. that particular energy that would be inconsistent with loving as we have been loved by Christ. And uh, so when I think about churches that have, you know, multiple staff members, uh, and, you know, I can think of several that have staff members who reflect differences in the finer points of theology, differences in you know, church history that they that they they grew up in, and and maybe yeah. even preferences that they had. But to be on mission together, to serve a particular flock, and to lead that flock in mission, they've they've learned how to embrace the the core value of respecting unity amidst diversity. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But it's again, it's not always easy. Right. There are those finer points that do sometimes creep up, creep to the surface, and we have to address those things. You had mentioned, as we were preparing for this in some of your study, a way that that we can come around this, that mm-hmm. there's there's something in the discipline even that that Go talks figure. about how do we do this, because yeah. it is such a, such a high value that of the 35 pages of our discipline that you mentioned, this takes up a chunk of that. Yeah. There is a section under duties of members that 
is it's called necessity of union. Again, if we go back to one of our earlier podcasts, it just you know I, the word unity is highly valued, or it wouldn't be in our name, right? And so again, that unity has a context. That context is in Jesus Christ, and it needs to be something a a, a it it's a value or a dynamic that needs to be worked at, maintained, mm-hmm. cherished in some case, you know, as well. And so I think that's what that's what's coming out of the discipline, uh, because the discipline under this section, necessity of union, is giving us some very serious, sober-minded ways in which we are to work, as Paul would say, maintain the bond of uh, maintain unity in the bond of peace mm. uh, of Ephesians chapter four. Here, here are just some nine ways in which we are to do this. And I, I'll give a shout out to uh, one of our pastors, Jim Bullock, who in 2017, when I asked him to to preach on the topic of of unity, following uh, a message that that uh, Arthur Wilson from Huntington University mm. preached, uh, Jim came right out of the gate quoting this section of scripture, which I okay. thought was a bold move yeah. uh, on his part. But I think I think when you hear it, you're gonna say, okay, this is a this calls for relational maturity. Yeah. This calls for us having the character of Jesus that doesn't just come because only because I read the scripture and I see who he was and what he is. That's mm. helpful. But I also have the inside person of the Holy Spirit to help me flesh that out to help point those areas in me that that aren't yet at the level that are beneficial for my relationship with the Lord or my relationship with others. So first of all, one of the one of the responsibilities, one of the nine responsibilities that we have in maintaining the necess- this necessity of union is be deeply convinced of the absolute the necessity of union that this is what God wants. This is what Christ prayed for in John chapter 17. This is what the Holy Spirit Mm. is working for inside each and every one of us. If we don't have that sense, then we're, we're gonna, we're gonna be careless with, with unity. And, uh, it's important that we are deeply convinced in that. Second thing is pray earnestly for and speak truly and freely to each other. So we want to pray for each other. We want to we want to speak with truth and love to each other. I heard, uh, just to pause you there for a second, yeah. I heard something that I heard years ago that, you know, you, you pray for your enemies. Jesus talked even about praying for your enemies. And it's hard to hate someone that you're praying for because your heart changes. And so I think it speaks to this one that if we're earnestly praying with and for one another, it's it's hard to let those things get in the way. It, it is. And my mom in my discipleship as as a, as a kid in the house of Paul and Barbara Fetters, it was my mom who who would who would hear me maybe complaining about a, a fellow student or a friend or whatever, and says, "Well, let's pray for them." And it used to be really irritating for me, <laughs> but it was a it was a great discipline to learn at such sure. a young age because the more you're praying for for someone that you're maybe thinking differently than, and maybe even at, at relational odds with, yeah. It, it's really hard to go to the Lord and 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 <laughs> not be you, changed. Yeah, you want to be authentic <laughs> in your in your prayers uh, in that one. So praying earnestly for and speaking truly and freely to each other is part of maintaining that necessity of mm-hmm. union. Third, when we meet, never part without prayer if prayer is at all practicable. 
And I, I, I love this. I, I, I do this. I try to do this in my role as a bishop, whether I'm on the phone or whether it's in person or whether it's on Zoom. In 2019, we had a, uh, a theme, let's pray. That's kind of that's one of my favorite phrases. You know, we've just had a we've just had an important conversation over the phone, but maybe between me and another pastor about certain situation in the church. Well, we've talked, we've done the best to understand scripture in light of this. We've done the best we could to to consider practical wisdom how mm. it's applied to this. But let's pray. Yeah, let's pray um, because it's only what the Lord has to say on this matter that really matters. So. So being people of prayer is critical to maintaining unity. Fourth, uh, take care not to despise each other's gifts. And he's talking here about spiritual, we're talking here about spiritual gifts uh, out of Romans, uh, the, the text that's attached to this is Romans 12, 3 to 8. Um, and I'm generally accepting of this, mm. uh, of others' gifts. I, I hope others are too, because they're not gifts that have been bestowed by the pastor. They've not been right. gifts bestowed by the board. These have been gifts, according to Scripture, bestowed by the Holy Spirit himself. So despising the gift <laughs> yep. is, in some ways, despising the gift giver. It, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, I can't see any other way about that. Yeah. So so we want to take care not to despise other gifts. Another, uh, another responsibility that we have is never speak lightly of each other. That one's a tough one, right? Um, never speak lightly, um, and that doesn't that doesn't mean. Well, I'm not sure what it doesn't mean. I, I think what it does mean is we're we're careful about what we're saying about other people. That it needs to be truthful, respectful, gentle, assuming the faith. I think that's another big principle yeah. that I have with individuals that maybe I disagree with, but in Christ I can assume the faith. The faith is what yeah. is what's holding us together, and the spirit is is what's going to help either uh, a person or me that that aren't seeing eye to eye. That's, we're still going to come back around to this. We're brothers, or we're brothers and sisters, uh, yeah. because the Holy Spirit who's inside of you is inside of me, and we're going to trust that the Spirit's going to going to help us figure this out. Yeah, in when a I, way. When I first heard that one, I wasn't sure. Don't speak lightly, because yeah. I interpret the word lightly differently. And so as I think about that one, it's it's more about speaking mindfully mm -hmm. uh, about others, knowing, being aware of what I'm saying about someone, mm -hmm. and that it's not untruthful, it's not derogatory, it's, it's not, not careless. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, great insight. Really kind of dovetailing off of that is, is a sixth responsibility, which is defend each other's character and everything so far as is is consistent with the truth. You know, again, if it's sure. if it's true, and even even yeah, if it's true, we we're going to defend the character of brothers and sisters. I don't think that means we cover up faults. Big difference. Big difference. And and I think and I think the church, not the church of the United Brethren in Christ per se, but I think Big C Church. Yeah. We we've seen where those cover ups yep. um, have have led to an erosion of trust. In the, in the church as an institution, but what mostly would concern us about that is, what is that, what is that saying to others about the Jesus we proclaim to be Lord right. and the Jesus who gets our, who, who, who's the recipient of our worship? Yeah. So uh, again, I just put out, defend each other's character and everything so far as consistent with the truth. Uh, that's part of loving one another, just as Christ has loved us. 
Seven responsibility, a seventh responsibility is labor and honor, each preferring one another before himself. And that certainly echoes the Apostle Paul, who encourages us in Philippians to think highly of others, mm. uh, more highly even than ourselves. Right. And uh, and he's tying that to the attitude of Jesus. Right. Right. And and uh, who did not, who though he had equality with God in his grasp, he did not consider himself. He made himself obedient. Yep. Even obedient unto death. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so I think that's uh, an important example to follow, but an important principle to live by. An eighth responsibility, seriously examine the cause, the evils, and the cures of heart and church divisions. So here's a call to seriousness. Yeah. Uh, sober-mindedness. What is causing this division? Have we taken the time to to think about this? Have we taken the time to pray about this? And not just as individuals, have we taken the time as leadership teams? Mm. Um, have we taken the time as, you know, as, as, as groups to, to consider what is causing the division of heart and of the church? Yeah. And uh, so uh, that's just calling us to not be flippant. That's calling us not to be you know, allowing our personal preference uh, to override. Yeah. Um, good, good, spirit-minded, sober-minded thinking. Yeah. And the last one is observe and follow principles for reconciliation and excommunication laid down by Jesus in Matthew five twenty-one to twenty-six, and Matthew eighteen fifteen to seventeen. Whenever an offense exists between members of the congregation, so again, seriousness, sober-mindedness, a slow process. Yeah, not something done in haste, not something done with pettiness in mind, but something that is very spirit-minded, very spirit-led. Yeah, I I want to go back to was it number 8 that says seriously consider and I I just think I want to <laughs> love to be in a board meeting where we say, "All right, have we considered this?" Yeah. Have we seriously considered this? <laughs> and someone going, no, I guess we haven't. Let's pray together. You know, right. just the call to that sober-mindedness that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, I want to just kind of circle back as we wrap up here, circle back to the beginning where we talked about this isn't unity at all costs. Mm -hmm. There's a, a seriousness about this. There's, there's a commitment to maintaining unity through the bond of peace we read about in Ephesians. There's a commitment to loving one another the way Jesus loved us because that was his command to us, and it takes work. This isn't unity, let's sit down, we know there's an issue, but we're going to ignore it. We're going to actually hit it head on. Uh, one of the, the terms that you use in this episode is relational maturity. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, that's one that I think is going to stick with me, even as I process what's, what this means to, to be unified, respect unity amidst diversity. So mm -hmm. thanks for the conversation today. I'm looking forward to the next one as we get into the core value of We Seek the Lost. I'm looking forward to it, Brian. Thank you. <laughs>